Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Marriott's on the move. What? Marriott's on the move. Again? Marriott's on the, Marriott's on the, Marriott's on the move. If you are dreaming about moving to a new city to pursue the life of your dreams, this podcast is for you. Moving 18 times in 22 years to five of the top cities in America, I know it's not easy to make those decisions alone. So I help individuals develop the dream, the plan, and the move, even if we need to get scrappy to get you there. I'll be doing interviews, career and city spotlights, and sharing my crazy moving stories, tips, tricks, and scams to avoid. My Fred Framework will help you see just how attainable your dreams are. Now let's get moving. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm sitting in my closet, surrounded by my shoes and my clothes, and it's still kind of surreal that I'm doing this. It feels fake, but I love it. So I'm glad you tuned in. I'm hoping that you have many suggestions for me and you can leave them in the reviews. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, no, actually not kidding. I actually would really love people to write reviews because I think that's how you get noticed in podcasts. I'm still learning all of the things. But I thought it was important to take a step back because I now have had a couple episodes. And before we go into the interviews and talking through more about the things that I do and how I do them, I thought it would be helpful to give you three examples. And one is just some suggestions. One is a little bit deeper. And then one's kind of super complex. And it'll probably help you understand where I'm going with this whole moving coach thing because I do have a plethora of useless knowledge in my brain and I've gathered this through many, many years of moving and buying houses and selling houses and I've only done that a couple times and it's just a pain in the butt every time you do it, but not as big of a pain in the butt as moving. So I want to prepare you, but I also want to help you start thinking smarter about your moves. And really, I think it starts by having a healthy balance. And I think there is a divine trinity of people that you need to have in your life when you're (laughs) building your future out. One is a therapist and one is a life coach. And then there's you and your opinions and thoughts and the things that are happening in your brain that... God or the universe or whoever you believe in has put on your heart. And so the best way to think about working with a life coach and a therapist is probably, probably, my mom would kill me for saying probably, probably the best example that I had heard of is that a therapist is like an archaeologist. An archaeologist is somebody that goes to a site and they dig up all the bones and dig up the past and try and piece it together and make sense of it. And then that archaeologist hands over what they've learned to an architect, which is a life coach. And the life coach and you are going to go and build these plans, right? So they 
put blueprints together about what's been on your heart, what your future looks like. And they basically say, here are the plans to get you there. And a lot of it is you verbally processing what your dream is, what you're thinking about, why it's been there on your heart, all of that stuff. But then the third part of that trinity is you, and you are the construction crew that is responsible for going and putting those plans in motion and taking action on them. Now, a therapist and a life coach or your archaeologist and your architect are legitimately going to help you get out of your own way, but you still have to move forward. And I think that the best way to articulate this is to give you three different examples of times that I've done this with three different people. So the first example I want to talk about is just merely suggestions and consulting. So my mom, several years back, she was in Tennessee already. So she lives in around Knoxville and she was renting and she wanted to get out of renting. And I think one of the things that when you have bought a house, it is really hard to go back to renting. I think it's just something mentally we kind of think like you're going backwards or you're throwing money away. And I want to dispel that rumor right out the gates because I have bought and sold houses the last few years. And the last year before I built my house this past, I just closed on it December 29th of last year, of 2021, I should say. It was glorious. (laughs) Like my closet collapsed. And I literally picked up the phone and called my landlord and I was like, please do something. My whole closet just collapsed. I mean, there's something so nice about going back to renting. And I think there's a lot of people who traditionally have always bought homes and they kind of feel inherently that they need to buy another home and that's the next step. But really, my mom and I were talking about the rental market and where she was and and where she was working. She works in retail and she wanted to be closer to the store, but she also didn't want to live over there because it was super congested. And long story short, while she was looking at rentals, she just wasn't finding what she wanted. And I mean, her expectations weren't crazy, I'll be honest. Like she just wanted a safe neighborhood where there are other people that she could take walks with or just kind of kind of be close to the highway because she had to get to work every day and she doesn't love driving a ton. So the long and the short of it is we were having this conversation and she's looking at all these rentals. And I said, mom, for every $100,000 you borrow, it's about $500 in a mortgage. Now, there are a lot of factors and mortgage people right now are probably like throwing their hands up. And I don't mean to upset you. But in general, it doesn't really, unless the interest rates are completely outrageous, which right now I think they are the highest they've ever been in a long time, but they're still not as high as the 70s. A rough estimate is for $100,000 that you borrow, it's about $500, give or take, on a mortgage. And it depends on how much money you put down. There's There, again, are a lot of factors. But at the time, between she's a really, really good saver and what she was looking for she could actually buy a house a heck of a lot. She would pay like a third of what she was going to be renting a house for. And that's what she did. And she didn't even think about it because just in her head, I mean, even though she had a spotless working history and she had been at the same place for many years, which we're going to have a mortgage person come on the on the podcast and kind of talk through what that looks like first-time homebuyers that don't maybe know and have a ton of questions. But generally, like they look for a good credit score. They look for 
a working history of at least two or three years, I think it is just kind of dependable, like what you're making versus what you should be spending on a mortgage. For instance, if you're making 50 grand a year, you shouldn't be looking at a million dollar house. I mean, I think it's common sense, but back in the early 2000s, people went and did crazy things. So can't say that that's not true for everybody. But at the same time, when we were talking through it, when she was getting frustrated, I said, you're looking at a place like maybe you're looking at a townhome. So that $150,000 townhome with how much you could put down, probably going to pay half of what your what your rent's going to be in any of these houses. And it doesn't really hurt to go and check. So she reached out to my uncle, I think, who was her real estate agent at the time. She worked with somebody in his office and they they had a mortgage broker that they worked with and liked. And, and it turns out, I mean, she ended up getting a place that's, it was a fixer upper, but we're not afraid of that. My dad worked construction, redid our whole house growing up. And so she kind of knew basically like, what would need to go into this house and what would make it look good outside of the fact that she had found a foreclosure. So she did pay under market rates and and they had done a number on the house, primarily in fluorescent colored paint, which was kind of weird in all. I mean, there was like fluorescent purple, fluorescent green. It just, it was odd. But so she put some hardwood floors in, painted the whole place, took down half a wall in the kitchen, which all in, I think she paid under $10,000 for the whole renovation and it boosted her property value. She got exactly what she wanted. And I think her mortgage is like five or 600 bucks or less. I can't remember what it was, but the long and the short of it is is sometimes it's just a matter of having a conversation with somebody or with me and listening to the podcast or, or getting advice through the blog or newsletter or whatever, just about things that you hadn't thought about, right? So it, she had bought and sold houses in the past, but she just hadn't really thought about it that way. And so I think sometimes getting you out of this track that's in your head, it helps when you're talking to somebody and kind of getting to that next level of, you know, where you need to be. So that would be like a very easy example of like consulting, like going through, it could be something as simple as saying like, you've never bought a house before. You're a first time home buyer here are my numbers. This is what I have in the bank. This is what I think I can afford. This is where I want to live. This is why I want to live there. And sometimes just bouncing those things out. It's really hard to talk about financial things with your friends and family because, I mean, one, sometimes you don't want them to know because it's private. If you've been reckless with your finances or you've been really, really smart with your finances, like those are yours and it's private. And sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody and talk through it with somebody. I have an amazing financial planner. His name is Matt Persnett. He is with Edelman Engines, Edelman Financial. And the first time I met with him, we didn't talk about the numbers that I currently had. We talked about my dreams and what I wanted to do and how much I wanted to retire with. And he basically walked me through things that I didn't even know. I didn't count on Social Security because I've been told my whole life, my whole working life that it's probably not going to be around when I retire, which is in 20 years or so. So it's like I didn't factor that in. So I felt like I was super behind when in fact, I was kind of right on schedule, which, you know, was very helpful in my psyche (laughs) because I I constantly felt like I was super behind because I've done a lot of stupid. I like I'm staring at a whole wall of very sparkly shoes right now and those weren't cheap. But 
that's kind of one example is like talking through some of this, verbally processing what you want to do, how much you want to spend, what it looks like on paper. And then like, if it's actually feasible now, or if it's just a matter of like, wait six more months or whatnot. So that's kind of the consulting conversations that I have in coaching. So then I'm going to take you, I, I know I mentioned musical bingo on the last episode. And when I went to musical bingo, which is super fun, by the way, like you have to have a ton of knowledge or Shazam. They actually encouraged us. So we weren't cheating or anything and we still didn't win. But Kevin won. And Kevin's the guy that I sat next to. So he happened to be a friend of the friend we were celebrating, Steve. And he was in town from Michigan. And it was such an interesting conversation because he was very quiet at first. I mean, he barely talked. I was, when I first got there and introduced myself and all that stuff, and he barely said two words. He just said that he knew Steve or whatever. So when I asked him, you're talking after dinner, and I asked him kind of where he lived or where he was in from, and he said, Michigan. And right out the gates, he says, but I've been really thinking about moving to North Carolina. So of course, I'm like, ooh tell me more, tell me more. Like I got so excited, you know, and I was like, I'm a moving coach. Tell me everything. So he's like, well, I, he's like, it really kind of started in 2020. He's like, I, I don't love the winters. And I was thinking that maybe I should move out to North Carolina or South Carolina. His parents spent half the year, I think he said in, in Hilton Head. So they get out of the winters. And when he was kind of thinking maybe he should do that too, but he owned a house. And so I said, okay, well, where have you visited? What have you seen in North Carolina? Like, are you thinking Charlotte or where do you want to go? And he's like, I live very close to Detroit and I do not want to live anywhere near downtown. In Charlotte, we call it Uptown. I think they rebranded it from the downtown several years ago. But essentially, we have a lot of different pockets of neighborhoods, kind of like Chicago where it's like, you could be in the city of Charlotte. Like right now, I live in the city of Charlotte. My address is Charlotte, but I live on the west side of Charlotte. So it doesn't really have a name, but there are areas within Charlotte like Noda, which is north of Davidson. We have, we don't have soda, which was the first question I asked. There's no south of Davidson, it's just Noda. There's a couple different, and I'm completely blanking now because I'm on the spot of like other areas within Charlotte, but we have little neighborhoods that are all like encompassing under the Charlotte umbrella. And then we have actual suburban cities like Denver and Waxhaw, and there was a couple others. So when we were talking about it, I said, have you thought about moving here short term or doing what I call a proof of concept? I call it a city. It's a POC, a proof of concept. And the thought behind it is you basically try before you buy. And he said, yeah, you know what? I actually was thinking about doing a six-month lease, but I was looking at a little bit north and I'm going to go check that out tomorrow. And, and he's like, I looked over on this side of, the, of Charlotte and that side. And you know, he's like, so there's a couple different areas, but I think I'm going to get a six-month lease. And I said, well, if I could make a suggestion, instead of doing a six-month lease, why don't you take those three cities that you just told me about? Because he wanted to be a little far out, but not super, super far out. Like he had a bunch of parameters. We talked a little bit about kind of what he wanted to do. I asked him if he likes the lake more or if he likes or the ocean or the mountains. Because we, you know, we're very lucky here in Charlotte. We have about two hours to Asheville or Black Mountain, which is a mountain range. 
And so you've got two hours in the mountains, but you could be at the ocean in four hours, which you just keep going straight east. You go right into the ocean. So the area that Charlotte surrounds, like I live off of Lake Wiley, which is on the west side. And then Lake Wiley has a, I think it's like a Catawba River connects that to Lake Norman. And most people know Lake Norman because it's a well-established lake. There's a lot of boats on it. It's really fun. Lots of gigantic, beautiful, beautiful homes. And Lake Wiley is a little quieter. It's not sleepy, but it's not, it's not Lake Norman. So I said, well, instead of, because he, he did mention that he was looking around Lake Norman. He did mention, I think, Denver as well, which is not Denver, Colorado. It's Denver, North Carolina. I know there's like weird, there's the same city names across every state in every state, which is kind of funny. But so he said he does, he really would prefer hiking and mountains over water, but he wants access to both. And I was like, great, you're in the right city for that. And so I said, if I could make a suggestion, instead of you getting a six-month lease at one place, why don't you use the benefit of Airbnb or Verbo or short-term rentals? You could even do it at a hotel. I'm a Marriott girl. We call ourselves the Bonvoy bitches, but sorry for the swear. But you could do it whether it's a hotel or a short-term rental. But essentially, instead of signing a lease, which is a contract, because mind you, he still has a mortgage at home in Michigan. He can actually move here. And if he decides to sell his house, put everything in a storage unit, which is what I did. I got a smaller rental, so I wasn't spending a ton of my money on the rental itself. But you get a short-term rental and you can spend two months in Denver, two months in Waxhaw, two months in Uptown. You can take, instead of signing a short-term lease, because you're going to put yourself in storage anyway until you figure out where you want to live, just do a city POC and pack enough. You know, I mean, you can take a couple boxes and a couple suitcases and make sure that when you are getting a rental for storage, like you can go to U-Haul. They have a ton of like climate controlled storage units. And for a 10 by 20, it's somewhere between $100 and $150 a month which is nothing compared to getting into a lease and then figuring out you hate a particular area and then having to spend all that money to either get out of the lease or ride it out and be miserable. So that was my suggestion to him. So instead of doing that short-term lease, again, you can take two months in an Airbnb in one area, two months in another area, two months in another area. And for as long as you can do that, it's gonna shake out to be about the same as a lease would be rental wise because rent here, depending on where you are, it could be, I mean, it goes all over. If you have a three bedroom house, they typically say it's like $500 a room, but in Charlotte, it's so much more expensive right now because this is one of the top destinations. So that was getting a little bit deeper. And he was like, gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. I, I actually could do that because I was planning on putting my stuff in storage. And that was the thing is that looking at it from that perspective, Now, when he goes home, I said in the next six months, because really when you're going to sell a house, they typically say kickoff is Super Bowl Sunday of like the moving, the selling of the houses and stuff each year. The real estate agents, at least the ones that I've worked with, told me that. So like basically after the Super Bowl and in the spring, all the way through like November, you know, October, November, 
is the best time to sell a house because it depends on where you are. Like if it's in Florida, it's all year round because obviously it's nice all year round. But in Michigan, he's in the tundra right now. And even though he's outside of Detroit and not like up in the Upper Peninsula, he still has to deal with snow. And so people aren't going to get a really good look at what his house looks like until, you know, all that melts. So I suggested when you go back home, why don't you start purging, right? Because everybody before they move or before they sell a house, there's certain things that you have to do. And we've had, we'll have some real estate agents on here doing like the talking about their cities, but essentially you are getting to a point where you stage the house. Like you don't ever want to picture somebody living in that house, especially not you that you're <laughs> going to look at, even if it's just an open house. So they say that take down all the pictures of people on the walls and just leave it looks like it looks staged. Like you can get on any HGTV show and they'll talk about the staging and how incredibly beneficial that is. But if you are somebody that's thinking about moving or selling your house, you want to start doing that now when you have the time to do it, right? So you can do little tricks like going room by room and getting rid of a box in each room of things that you're not going to pay to move because moving itself is expensive. If you're Moving within a city or within a state, it's called an intrastate move, just like a work. Well, they don't really use the term a ton anymore, but like typically every company has an intranet that they use, whether it's like Slack or Teams or it's something that you communicate internally, right? So think of that as intrastate, it's within the state. Now, an interstate move is outside of the state line. So just like you take an interstate from state to state, that's when an interstate move when you're moving across state lines is called. And there's all kinds of complexities and we'll do a moving show just about kind of that. But when you're moving within a state or within a certain distance, you pay by the hour versus moving interstate, you actually pay by the pound. So I know just because I've moved 18 times (laughs) in the last 23 years, that I have about 11,000 pounds worth of stuff if I take my washer and dryer. So that kind of puts it in perspective of like, some people are not taking any of their washer, dryer, refrigerator, any of that stuff, but some people are. So you can kind of gauge how much you have. And a lot of times I will tell people if they're packing, think about it, like would how much that weighs and if it's really worth actually like paying to move it because you're paying by the pound for that particular item. And so sometimes that's enough to get somebody to donate something. Or if you're like Marie Kondo and it doesn't bring you joy anymore. I don't know if you, the book, I think it's like The Art of Tidying Up or something, but she had a whole show on Netflix, just literally put Marie Kondo, K-O-N-D-O in there and, and, or the home edit. There's a bunch of different organizers, but essentially when you're moving, if you want to kind of really start decluttering, you can purge room by room, which is an easy way to do it. But that was my suggestion to him. So Kevin, you're, you're really starting to get like enticed. You're going to go and look at these different areas, go home and take that excitement and that motivation and get gazelle intense, right? So start fixing up some of the things that need to be fixed, start painting some of the walls that need to be painted as I'm staring at my closet wall right now that looks like they missed a complete spot. Gosh, that drives me nuts. But do some of those things, like start, if you know the holidays now have passed, right? It's we're in the middle of January as I'm recording this. So you know that you can start getting your holiday stuff boxed up and put away in an area. I usually have a staging area, which sounds so 
fancy, but it's really like an area in my garage is what it ends up being where I know that this stuff is going so I can start boxing and getting it out of the house. Because when you are going to look for a new house or even a condo or townhouse or whatever it is, you want to go into a place that is not cluttered because it's going to look bigger. And that's part of the moving thing and being able to picture yourself in that house when there's not pictures of somebody's kids or grandkids all over the place. So in that example with Kevin, I made a couple suggestions. So I asked him what he was really excited about, like what drew him to North Carolina or South Carolina, whatever one he's doing, because he was looking to a little bit south of the border. It's a less expensive tax wise in South Carolina. That's like kind of the one of the benefits of, of living there. But so I I just kind of asked him a lot of questions. And so he started seeing like, well, this is really important to me. He, one of his questions, one of the questions I asked him is if he has to go into an office. And he said, no, but I like to. And so a lot of times people will start interviewing and they'll say, okay, like anything in North Carolina. And he happened to go to Raleigh a lot, which is about two and a half, three hours from Charlotte, depending on where you're going within Raleigh. So he knew Raleigh a little bit as well. But that was the thing is that he, when he was taking a step back, he really wanted to be able to hike and he really wanted to be able to go into an office. And one of the things that I I tell people and the advice I give is find the place that you want to live first. Find the place that you're going to have the best work-life balance because you can really find a job wherever you want. But the problem is, is that when you get an offer, so... For instance, we were at dinner and my friend that I was with knew some people at another table. We went over and we were talking to them and they were trying to convince their friend that was with them to actually move to Charlotte for this job because they all worked in the same industry. And at that point, they're really dangling that salary carrot over her head. So when you get an offer and you are going to whatever state that is or whatever city that is, In your head, you do this like mental balance of like, well, I guess I could live here. I mean, it doesn't have everything I want, but I could make it work. Whereas if you go into the city and you find the city that you really, really think you would thrive in and then find a job, it's a total different ballgame because now you don't have that thing hanging over your head. And then if you get to that new job in that new city that you kind of thought was okay and you could make work, if that job doesn't work out or you hate it, now all of a sudden you hate the city that you're living in too, even though that city could be a perfectly fine city. But that's the thing is that you have that carrot dangling over your head and you're you're of course going to make a choice if you don't have any other offers or it's warm and you live in a cold climate. There's all these things. But if you do it in the reverse, figure out where you want to live and then start looking for a job, you're already winning when you get there. So that's my second example. Little things that you can do, little steps you can take to kind of be in control of this whole situation and feel like you're moving forward. The thing is, is that Kevin doesn't have to sell his place in Michigan just yet. He can come here because he works remote in his job. I'm pretty sure is what he said now. He could come to Charlotte and do this POC or the proof of concept. It's, I will stop saying proof of concept, but city POC, it's That's basically what it is, is that you're trying it before you buy it, right? So that investment he's making, he could even rent out his place in Detroit for six months and come out here and try these three different areas 
He can even try six different areas. I mean, if he's living out of the same suitcase and he's doing it for a month, just going back and forth to a central storage unit, he can really figure out the traffic patterns. Like he could find an area that he really thinks he wants to live in. In fact, one of my friends did this. One of my coworkers, he basically told me that I he thought I saved him like $90,000. And I was like, how did I do that? <laughs> and he said, that like his wife was set on buying this house that she had seen in pictures. And when they, and I suggested doing the city POC, I said, just take a couple different areas around Asheville and try it out before you actually buy. Like if that house has been on the market for a month or two, it's probably not going anywhere in the next month or two. And if it is, then it's not meant to be anyway, but like go and stay there, like stay over the holidays or stay there for a month go and see where you really want to be. And it turns out that house that they were looking at, they didn't actually love. Like they ended up changing kind of the house that they're going to live in altogether in a total different area than where they were looking at these pictures. Because I will say my brother is a photographer and he is a very, very talented photographer, but he can make the smallest room look big. And the photographers that real estate agents are working with are very talented in that. They know what a room's going to look like staged. They know how to angle it so it does give you the full spectrum of what that room looks like. So they're not dumb. They know what they're doing. And if you go solely based on these pictures, you could make a huge, huge mistake. They could have a neighbor just outside of the Google Maps street view that looks like they have a junkyard in their front yard. You never know until you actually go there and check it out. And when you don't have that carrot dangling over your head of a big offer, you really are looking at it like, okay, if I'm going there and I always recommend staying longer than a week, if you can, I know not everybody works remote and I know not everybody has that kind of paid time off, but if you can go and even spend five or six days in a city, in the area that you think you want to live, you will learn real quick. If you take a walk in the morning, in the middle of the afternoon and at night, how you feel there, right? And that's not something that they can put a real estate agent is not allowed to talk about whether something is a safe neighborhood or there's good schools because that's bias. And I have a um, couple real estate agents coming on the podcast that we've I've already done interviews with where they're in editing, but they literally cannot tell you some of these things by law. And I remember coaching this woman, she was in Paris actually, and she was hoping to move to Hollywood is what her dream was. And I asked her why she wanted to live in Hollywood. And of course, for the same reason, everybody thinks Hollywood is so glamorous and movies were made there and all the stars are there and it's beautiful and the weather's amazing. And she was so excited. And she's like, I already even found an apartment. I didn't put any money down on it, but I already know where I want to live. And I was like, really? Like, you did all this from Paris. Like, tell me where you want to live. And I literally take the address from her. And the street view looked great because they had the building from like probably the sixth floor up. And it was in the middle of Skid Row. And if you live in the United States, that Skid Row has a reputation for a reason. In fact, they even did a Netflix show on the Cecil Motel or Hotel. It is kind of a sketchy area, but you are not going to hear that from a real estate agent. They might say that that's not necessarily where people your age live. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that they can probably get around that. But when it comes down to it, if you go and spend time in that area, you could find that you want to be on the complete opposite end of that city and really like go into it with your eyes wide open without that 
carrot of a salary dangling over your shoulders that you kind of have to make that decision. You can go into it choosing to find the right place for you for your own work-life balance. So I gave you two examples. We're going to take a little break and then we're going to get into the third. Did you know that a bottle of wine can have up to 300 chemicals in it? Like mega purple, for instance, which makes the wine look a little bit more full-bodied, but also turns your teeth and tongue purple. And they can add up to 16 grams of sugar or sweetener concentrates to that same bottle. Check the label of the wine you're drinking. Oh wait, you can't. They don't have to put it on there. You might be ingesting synthetic pesticides and not even know it. Join my Scout and Cellar Wine Club and taste the difference that the clean-crafted commitment that 23 of our vintners around the world make to you ship straight to your home. To learn more, I'll put the link in the show notes or go to scoutandcellar.com forward slash Marriott's on the move. Now back to the show. Okay, dokie. So we are going to talk about Kate. Now, Kate is based on somebody that did not want to have her details thrown out there. So I did take some liberties and I'm going to use her as kind of an avatar. We'll put it in those terms. So Kate's situation was that she had four months left on her lease. And four months is kind of a weird time because it's kind of a long time, but not really that long, long if you have a year long lease. And her dream was to be an actress on Broadway. And so if you're following my website or if you're hopping on to my email list, I'm going to be doing a newsletter. I'm not going to do it a lot. I hate when somebody emails me every single day with these long emails. That's totally not my MO. I'm more of a like short and sweet, give me a two or three minute read. (laughs) So, but if you want to hop onto my email list, I'm going to do some examples of this down the road as well. But essentially... Kate had four months left on her lease and she was living in Chicago and she was living in an area that was a lot of fun. She had a three bedroom and the roommate that she had actually moved out of state. And so she had one office room and then she had one room that was open and it was too short term. Her building didn't allow Airbnb people or anything. So she basically had four months to decide what she was going to do next. Now, her parents had given her a lot of furniture, so she had a lot of stuff in this apartment. So even just like at first glance, she probably had like eight or 9,000 pounds worth of stuff. It was just because it was like really well-made old furniture, if you can relate to that. So she's got four months left. She's in Chicago. She, in her dreams, wanted to move to New York City, specifically Chelsea, which she had visited on a vacation. And Chelsea is adorable. And I said, okay, tell me more about what this dream looks like. And Chelsea is very relative to Broadway. It's not, you can walk there. It's not too far. But Chelsea is very expensive. And at that point, she had not done any research to figure out that Chelsea was just an average size studio. Now, keep in mind, Chicago small is different than New York small, just as it's different than St. Louis small or Los Angeles small. Every single city has like their definitions of what averages are. And if you can get on like realtor.com and put rent, or you can go to apartments.com is another great one that I've used in the past, just to kind of get a feel for like, you can throw the city in how big the apartments are. But an average 
275 square foot studio apartment in Chelsea. And I'm not kidding you guys. At the time of this taping, which is the end of January, goes for about four to six thousand dollars a month. A month. Yes, you heard that right. Four to six thousand dollars a month. So it's a lot. So I'm like, tell me more about this dream where you're independently wealthy and you can afford this. I didn't say that out loud, but that's what I was thinking in my head. So I, but it was very romantic. I was just like a snowy night. I'm watching Friends. It's the one about Pivot. And we all know which one with Ross and the couch trying to get it up the stairs. But so she had this whole thing where she was going to audition for Broadway shows and she was going to get cast and her dreams were just going to take off. And in her head, she's like, well, I can, in four months, I could maybe just throw caution to the wind and I can go. I can just rip the Band-Aid off on this dream and I can head to New York City and become a waitress just like everybody else. And I can try and live my dream. And I said, okay, what could you do in Chicago to fulfill some of these dreams? Like, are you taking acting classes right now? Do you have an agent? And she was like, no. And I said, okay, have you acted before? Let's start there. And she had, she had done some small parts here and there. And so it wasn't like she was starting from scratch, but she hadn't taken an acting class in a long time and she didn't have an agent which is imperative. And a lot of the agents, well, I actually have some acting friends that I'm going to have on the show, both from Chicago, New York, and LA, which I'm super excited about. So we're going to talk through some of this. But in this particular scenario, I said, okay, well, what kind of classes could you take now to kind of get back into the habit of acting? Because it really is a craft. And memorizing alone is a lot, like getting prepared for monologues and stuff. So She's like, I could take some classes. And I said, okay, well, we probably wouldn't want you to, unless you won the lottery, which I don't know if she did or not, but I I didn't, based on what we were talking about, I didn't gather that she did. So what could you do in Chicago if you were to stay here just six months more? Because in a prior conversation, we had talked about her finances. She had a little bit of school loans left. I think it was like ten or 15000 She had about ten or 15000 in uh, credit card debt. And she was making enough money, but she wasn't going to be getting a huge raise or anything to move to New York. She could move with her job, but it wasn't going to be enough to like get out of debt and pay four to $6,000 a month in rent. I mean, even just like if you go up to the Upper East Side, when I was there like 10 years ago, I mean, I think I paid $3,000 a month for a one bedroom and it was bigger. It was like 1,000, 1,200 square feet or something like that. But that's the thing is that you have to figure out where you need to be and what it's going to cost you and all that stuff. Have you heard of Monate or Modern Nature? I hadn't either before my friend Monica was raving about their skincare products that she's obsessed with. I took their hair quiz to find out which product line would be best for me since I just happened to be looking for new shampoo and conditioner, and I signed up for their VIP package that got me a little bit of everything to try out. Turns out they are the first anti-aging hair care line in the world, which I didn't even know was a thing. And their products are gluten-free, vegan, and Leaping Bunny certified, which means they're never tested on animals. Now I'm obsessed with their rich formulations that feature botanical extracts, essential oils, and other naturally based ingredients, and I want to share those products with you. I'll put the link in the show notes, or you can hit the faves page on my website. It's safe, EU approved, and clinically tested by third parties. So essentially, robustness approved. Now back to the show. So to take a step back, we were like, okay, well, you do have four months, and Chicago does have studio apartments. What if you 
in the next four months with obviously permission from her family, what if you went and sold everything you could sell that you didn't want to take with you that would fit in a 275 square foot studio, which we figured out was basically her living room. And so so that's what she started doing. She started selling things and every bit that she got from like the the dresser and the bed set that, you know, her parents didn't want, they allowed her to sell it and make money. She kept chipping away at her school loans and at her credit card debt. And because she was like moving forward with her dream kind of, it allowed her to get really gazelle intense and focused because she's like, okay, so I'm not going to move just yet. And it was kind of a weird time because her lease was going to be ending right about June. I think it was June. But basically, if she were to take the next six months and do a short-term lease, which the Airbnb at the time wasn't quite as big as it is now, so she could have done that for sure. But the area that she was looking at, Gold Coast in Chicago, was very similar to the areas around Midtown, which was more affordable in New York City, got her the same access to Broadway and how quickly she could get there. But she was moving forward on the dream. so. She did, by the end of her lease, she did find a six-month lease in the Gold Coast. She was able to move into this apartment, which I think it was like 400 square foot, which is a, about average size for a studio in Chicago, especially in that area. So it's a little bigger than what she would even have in New York City. And she was paying more than her three-bedroom in the other area that she was living in Chicago. But it still wasn't as much as it would be in New York City. So she's gradually taking that step to a more expensive place and getting used to like budgeting. And now she had less debt and less school loans. So she was actually making strides financially in saving. And then once she started getting gazelle intense about selling everything, like she went crazy. She sold her car. So she was able to get really focused because she had that dream in mind. Now, at the same time, she's taking an acting class. She went to a couple like workshops that agents were at to find out what agents were looking for. She got a whole list of like what agencies were both in Chicago and in New York. And the last I talked to her, she was basically going through this. I want to do a show and I want to invite agents to that show. And then maybe an agent will sign me, which is a lot of times what happens is you go through and you, there's a ton of different, like in Chicago, there's such a huge acting community, both in like Chicago, the whole Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Chicago PD, like Dick Wolf series. But then also there's a ton of like independent films. There's different schools that have theater and acting departments. And there's so many different things that you can do that you don't actually ever have to even leave Chicago as an actor. But there's different styles. And and she we had amazing, amazing theaters like the Steppenwolf, to name one, the Piven Theater. There's a ton of awesome theaters in Chicago. So she was basically doing her dream. But in the city that she was close to friends and families, she was getting acclimated to the fact that she was going to start spending more money. So she had to like really prioritize what made sense from a budgeting perspective, what she really wanted to spend money on. And really what would get her closer to her dream. So that's one example. So I won't spoil the ending, but she did end up moving to New York City. I'm not sure if she's on Broadway right now. I We kind of lost touch several years ago. But the story, and this was all before I was really doing anything coaching-wise, 
the story on this is that did she have the New York experience at that point? No, she wasn't. But did she feel like she was moving closer to her dream? You bet your ass she did. Like she was super excited and she was like selling things and taking acting classes because that dream, like I just got goosebumps, you guys. That dream was moving forward, even if she wasn't there yet. It took her 10 months. So she ended up moving, I want to say it was like towards the end of the year around the holidays. She had the holidays with her family and then she moved. But it's like, that's the kind of smart moving that I want people to get in the habit of doing is like your 10 months is not a long time. If you hate somewhere that you're living, 10 months could seem like an eternity. But 10 months preparing for that dream and gradually feeling those baby steps forward, like paying a little bit more, budgeting a little bit better, getting tighter on, you know, what her dreams are. I mean, I know I took several acting classes when I was in Chicago and I did a bunch of auditions and I, I like, I got some things, I didn't get other things. But at that point, like, I was like, gosh, you know, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. And it wasn't like I was Kate, like wanting to get on Broadway. I just, I wanted to be in the community. I loved acting and I love, and I still love it. But at the same time, like, I don't know, especially listening to some of my friends' stories about like what they were doing and acting can be a lot of like sitting around and waiting. And I just, I don't know. I, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I think my old dream was being a famous, not even famous, but just being an actress and, and like doing that on the daily and loving every minute of it to like actually getting into the groove and kind of doing it. And I was like, eh. Okay. I mean, this is cool. It's really fun. And I'm glad to say that I've done a couple cool things. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like it didn't light me up as much as it did like when I was growing up or when in high school. So I think like being able to take a step back and saying, okay, I took a class. Do I want to sign up immediately for the next one? Or am I like, okay, good. I got my fill and now I can take a break for a while. That is the kind of place where you get content or you get motivated. You get content or you get gazelle intense. You get content and you pivot and figure out what your next dream is or you push like that gas pedal down and you put the pedal to the metal and get on that train of your dreams, right? So I think that that's kind of probably the best example that I can give as far as like stories go. I've got the one where I'm just doing a little bit of consulting, making some suggestions, one that's giving some actual coaching advice. And he knows how to get a hold of me if he wants to like step on the gas further and, and put it more into motion. But sometimes you need a little bit of advice and sometimes you need a full-blown plan, right? In Kate's story, getting her to that point where she felt like she was living her dream and it just lit her up. She felt so productive, so excited, so like, yes, this is what I'm meant to do. And then there's other people that they are able to pivot. Like, that's the point that I want to get. I want you to figure out if you're moving forward. And if you're not, why? How to be content, how to pivot, and how to change that dream. So when you are going through this life, you don't feel this like sense of shame or this. I know a lot of people that are like, oh, I wish I would have left and. I mean, you came back, but then you left again and I couldn't even move that one time. And I, Zig Ziglar has a saying like failure is an event, not a person. And I think a lot of times when we don't follow our dreams or we don't get to that next level, we think of ourselves as failures, even if we're not beating ourselves up or anything or like on the daily, 
some people have a lot of negative self-talk, even if you're not like that, but you kind of think like, oh, that's the dream that got away. Sometimes it's nice to just like pivot and not feel that guilty, but be able to file away that dream and give yourself a little bit of closure to get to that next place on what is your dream and what's your new normal and what you what that looks like. So that's what I wanted to do today is really just like talk through a couple examples of when I'm coaching what that looks like. So consulting, coaching, and pedal to the metal. I don't know why I can't say this. It's getting late. I'm, I've batched my my podcasts and I've I've spent a couple <laughs> a couple hours doing this now. So I think this is my sign. I'm starting a trip over my words. But anyway, if you tuned in and you listen to this and you have a story that you want to share or you want some free coaching, you want to talk through some situations that I can maybe bring on the air with me as examples, I would love that. You can jump on my website. You can sign up for my email list. I have a, a little thing called a Fred freebie. It's just got four questions that you ask yourself in those areas that'll get you started. I am going to do a workshop in, I'm probably going to do it May 1st. May 1st kicks off National Moving Month. It's my favorite month of the year, obviously outside of December when my birthday is. But yeah, I'm going to do a workshop in May and it's going to be around this, like finances, robustness, ecosystem, and dreams. And just like I'm going to do in the digital course, I'm going to start with the dreams. We're going to figure out how to articulate the dream. And then we're going to reverse engineer you into it through your finances, through your mental and physical wellness, through the ecosystem you need to be in to pinpoint exactly where you're going to have the best work-life balance. And I have no idea what it looks like yet. I've started writing, obviously, the digital course. I've been working on that for a little bit now. And the workshop is going to be just like a mini mini digital course, so to speak. So if it's something you're interested in, jump on my email list. I will put out more details when I have them. And outside of that, keep moving towards your dreams. Woohoo! Well, I could go on forever and ever about moving you closer to your dreams, but I should probably save some thoughts for the next episode. A big thanks goes out to you for making time for me today. And making time for me, you are making time for future you, and we are both Thank you also to my podcast editor, Brendan Newsom, and my brother, Edward, who helps me with everything from my pics and social to keeping me sane. If you want to keep in touch, jump on my website, marriottsonthemove.com, or follow me on Insta or LinkedIn, where I also have a page for Marriott's on the Move like I do on Facebook. Until next time, keep moving towards your dreams. Bye for now. Marriott's on the Move. What? Marriott's on the Move. Again? Marriott's on the, Marriott's on the, Marriott's on the move.